What a great time of worship. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, River, for joining us this morning. Uh, good morning and welcome to Revelation Rock. We made it through Easter, and you're all still here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to start with a word of prayer before we get, I got a few things to announce, but I just want to pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Lord, we thank you for today. Thank you that your mercies are new every morning, that we don't receive from you based on us. We receive from you based on Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence in our lives, for interpreting the words that I'm going to speak, for empowering this body of believers to spit out the sticks and eat the hay. Father, I thank you for freedom. Thank you for this living room, this place that we get to come together to gather, to study your word, to hear from you, to worship you, to glorify the name of Jesus above everything. The difficulties that some may know about and difficulties that many may not, we exalt the name of Jesus above all of them. Thank you for the freedom that we have in this country to worship you. Thank you that the gospel is so much bigger than any geographical location, than any set of circumstances we may find ourselves in. We thank you this morning for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray, amen. As I said, welcome to Revelation Rock, welcome to our family room. Good morning, saints, it's good to be back. Thank you, Nick, for bringing the word last week. That was a good, he did a great job, didn't he? I got to listen to it. In the middle of the week, he did a great job. Thank you for that. Giving us a little bit more understanding on how grace came through Jesus. Before I get into the word this morning, I want to invite you next week. We have a special speaker coming, a friend of mine named Grant Fraley. He is an associate pastor, works with Jeremiah Johnson. If you've been a part of Grace Camp or if you've been here for any number of years, you've probably heard Jeremiah when he's here. Um, this is his a guy, associate works underneath him, works with him. Good friend of mine, he's got a powerful revelation, and I'm excited to hear what he has to share. So I invite you to come back next week. If you've got somebody that you want to bring, you're welcome to bring them. Um, it would, it'll be a great time in the Word for sure. So this morning's message I had nailed right down. I had it all figured out. For almost a month, points, subpoints, I had it all figured out, and I feel like I'm supposed to shuffle it up a little bit. We're going to start with a comparison, and then we're going to work into the teaching this morning, possibly. In Mark chapter 10, verse 17, if you can bring that one up for me, Jody, I'd appreciate it. We see Jesus interacting with a rich young ruler. He was financially well off. We don't know a lot of details about him. There's a lot of supposition out there. But this young man came to Jesus with a question. Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? This is a fair question. This is the question most humans ask. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And as you know, we're not going to go through all the details of this story, but as you know, Jesus replied, he said, why do you call me good? And they have this conversation about what it means to be 
to keep the law. He's like, well, I've kept all the law since I was a youth, which we know on this side of the cross, no one's ever kept the law except Jesus. But he was convinced he had kept the law, and so Jesus gives him one more thing to do. Now, if you can bring up Acts chapter 16, verse 30, Jody, I'd like to look at, that, at this comparison this morning. He brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? A little backstory on this. In Acts chapter 16, we see Paul and Silas get thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. While they're in prison in the middle of the night, they begin to have a worship service. They didn't have a sound guy, but they were singing and glorifying the name of Jesus above being imprisoned. An earthquake rolls in, but it's a unique earthquake. Earthquakes bring destruction. When we hear an earthquake happened, immediately we question how many people died, what city was destroyed, what casualties were inflicted. In this unique earthquake, the prison was broken free, but there were no fatalities. In fact, the building didn't even collapse. We know this because they were all still there. So there's this earthquake happens and everyone is released, but no one leaves. So the Philippian jailer is about to take his own life because he realized the weight of losing an entire prison full of prisoners. He lost them. They were lost on his watch. Obviously, he didn't cause the earthquake, but there's no redemption from this for a jailer. And Paul cries out in the darkness, don't do it, don't do it, we're all still here. Which prompts this question. The jailer, he brought them out and he said to them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And we know that in contrast to what Jesus ministered to the rich young ruler, what did Paul and Silas say? Paul said, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Well, that's a good answer. I like that answer. This is, when I share the gospel with somebody, I almost always reference this passage of scripture because this is salvation. But it begs the question, why didn't Jesus say this to the rich young ruler? Just believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Because on the surface, in our English language, it appears to be basically the same question. But if you look at the words, it's not. And I want to draw a little contrast this morning for us. See, the rich young ruler said, what must I do to inherit? That word inherit, if you look it up, it means to obtain my, my rightful, legal, lawful portion of eternal life. What must I do to obtain what is legally and rightfully mine? He was saving himself. He just needed one more step. And when we save ourselves, we always have one more step. The rich young ruler was familiar with earning things. You see, he was rich. Interestingly enough, the more physical, financial wealth that we possess, unfortunately, we tend to trust in it. This is not condemnation. Everyone in this room is rich, financially. You may think, oh, you don't know my debt. It doesn't matter. You can all go eat somewhere. You all are here this morning. In the scope of the world, you're all rich. Now, you might not be rich when compared to whoever, Jeff Bezos or anyone a few billion less than that. We still, oh, well, I'm poor. But compared to the world, and especially when we compare it to the world like that's all humans that have ever existed, we're bazillionaires. But the, the problem with it is we tend to trust in it. It's the source of our deliverance. And we've, a lot of times, many of us, we've earned the wealth that we have. The rich young ruler was very familiar with earning things. The law of Moses was built on earning 
When we couldn't earn, we kept track of and we offered sacrifices. We offered a payment, a sheep from our flock. We provided our salvation. The rich young ruler was familiar with earning things. But see, the Philippian jailer, this is interesting, the Philippian jailer, he was a jailer, apparently for a while. He was a jailer, and he was very familiar with people being rescued and delivered. Think about this, church. All he had done was watch people, guard people in prison. To get out of prison, you need a deliverer. We all need a deliverer if we're in prison. You either need somebody to bring bail money, you need somebody to bust you out, you need a deliverer. If you're in prison, you can't get out on your own. You're stuck there. This jailer was very familiar with the need for a deliverer. And if you look at the passage in Acts 16.30, says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That word saved is the word sozo in the Greek. Implied in the word sozo is an external force delivering, an external force healing. There's a whole bunch in that word sozo, but what's not in the word sozo is us. We ain't in there. It's all somebody, we're functionally in prison. We need a deliverer. The, the rich young ruler understood self-deliverance. The Philippian jailer understood what it meant to be saved. If we compare these situations, we see some interesting things. Everyone in the prison needs delivered. He had just witnessed the greatest deliverance probably of his life. The, it wasn't somebody broke one of the prisoners out. It wasn't someone brought bail money of a huge amount and bought someone's freedom. It was a supernatural deliverance for the entire jail's freedom. The entire prison had been saved from imprisonment. And he was shrewd enough to realize it wasn't the prisoner's doing. It was a supernatural deliverance. As we compare and contrast these two situations, the rich young ruler was seeking to obtain for himself eternal life. Until he realized he was drowning, he would never reach for a buoy. Until he realized that he could not swim, he would not reach for a buoy. I thought of this picture this morning as I was thinking about this contrast, um, in several military trainings, mostly Navy related, they put the soldiers in the pool and they swim and they tread water for hours and hours and hours and hours. That could be an exaggeration. I've never been in it, but it's a long time. And then they have to swim with bricks. They have to hold bricks and tread water. And I thought about that with this rich young ruler, that until you realize I cannot do it, you'll never reach for a buoy. Until we realize we cannot save ourselves. So what did Jesus do in this instant with this rich young ruler? The rich young ruler, in essence, if you want to close your eyes and imagine he's in the pool and he's swimming for his righteousness and he's sitting there kicking. I'm treading water, Lord. I've kept all of these since my youth. See these bricks? I've been swimming with them since I was a youth. Watch me go. In that situation, Jesus could have thrown him the buoy. What's he going to do? I don't need your buoy. Tell me what I got to do. So what did Jesus do? Tossed him another brick. That's all you can do. Until we come to the end of ourselves, we need another brick. Eventually, as we all know, if you've ever been treading water for any length of time, we run out. 
We ultimately all will run out. The best of the best will run out of air, will run out of muscle, will run out of energy, and we're done. And the purpose of the law is to bring us to that point. Keep stacking them bricks on, keep stacking them bricks on. Over 600 laws in the Old Testament, and you know what's interesting? That was just the outline. The 600 laws of the Old Testament was just the shape of the law. Jesus comes along and he's like, you think the 600 laws was it? No, that's just the shape. I'll fill it up. Oh, you think, you think that you have not committed adultery because you haven't slept with your neighbor's wife? But if you thought you might think about possibly wandering maybe down that path, it's the same thing. There's the bottom layer filled up. Jesus filled the law full. So now it's no longer just the outline of this instruction. It's full. The purpose of this is to bring everyone to a point where they realize they need a savior. The jailer, in contrast, was all too aware of his own inability to swim. Just throw me the buoy. Throw me the buoy. I need saved. I need delivered. I need the external thing that delivered you guys. I need that. This is the purpose of the law. If you got your Bibles, we're going to start, we're going to look through a whole bunch of different scripture. We'll see where all we end up today. Romans chapter 3, verse 19 and 20 reads, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. For what purpose? That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Verse 20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So we've got all of these instructions given. The Mosaic law and then some. No flesh will be justified in his sight. The rich young ruler didn't stand a chance. He just didn't know it yet. There's no way he could ever swim with all the bricks of the law. If you keep going, we're going to keep reading in Romans chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse 21 and read through 31. Hopefully you still got your Bibles out and open. Verse 21 reads, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Thank you, Jesus. Can anybody else say thank you, Jesus? We just, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Nobody's justified. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and by the prophets. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For, verse 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and, thank you, Jesus, the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It's excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. 
Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Our right standing with God is apart from the Mosaic law. Does that mean, as Paul goes on in this, we're not going to preach the whole book of Romans this morning, but does that mean go on and continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. He goes over and over. But it's really important to note how many times Paul has this conversation. When we preach the unadulterated gospel, the gospel that's not been cheated on with our own flesh, the true gospel will always provoke that question. It will always bring about the question, so then should we just sin so that grace can abound? It looks that way, and that's okay. It's okay that it looks that way. It's not the instruction. Paul goes on, God forbid, absolutely not. That's not the point. We're missing the point if we live there, but we're not missing the point if we ask that question. All we are is we're hearing the true gospel. See, we love, just like the rich young ruler, we tend to get back into performance. And sometimes it's a positive, sometimes it's a negative. This is where we're headed today with the rest of the teaching this morning, is on that positive side, if you've tried to keep the law for any length of time, you realize it ain't happening. It's not going to happen. We blow it. Over and over and over and over again, we blow it. We verb sin. We do things that we shouldn't. We think things that we shouldn't. But sometimes that shifts. After a while, it shifts in, our, in the natural. We begin to see things that we do negatively. And we begin to enter them into the equation. Is anybody familiar with this? Maybe it's just me. Could just be me. I'm guessing that some of you have done this, where we screw up and we enter that into the equation of our right standing with God. Or we do something really good and we enter that. Shouldn't it count? Shouldn't our good, shouldn't our good stuff count? Well, if the good stuff counts and the bad stuff counts, and I just want to clarify that bad stuff will always outweigh the good stuff for every single human on earth. So we just want Jesus to count and according to the word of God, that's all that counts. By grace through faith. It is by grace that salvation and right standing with God is provided. And we access it through faith. What is faith? We believe. It's not performance. It's believing. Right believing will always produce right living eventually. It just happens. But we've got to where let's We'll preach right living, and hopefully right standing will follow. That ain't how it works. It's all from the inside out. But do we know it? The title of this morning's message is Do the Math. And I'm not great at math, but we're going to do a little bit of the math this morning. It's important that we note that our righteousness is nothing. 
Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6 reads that our righteousness is like filthy rags. Romans chapter 3, we just read a good chunk of it. Romans chapter 3 is an expose on this. Picking up in verse 9, it says, What then are we better than they? This is Romans 3. Not at all, for we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks, they are all under sin. Verse 10, as it is written. We're going to read eight verses here, maybe nine. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is no one who understands. There is none who seek after God. They have all turned aside. They have altogether become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Whew! That's heavy. That is heavy. Everybody's guilty. Everybody's guilty. It's important that we understand the value of our good behavior and of our bad behavior. We're going to do just a little math, but I want to read another verse out of Romans, and this is the verse that started this whole thing. Romans chapter 6, verse 11. We're going to read more of Romans 6, but we're going to start with verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Some words in there. This is the New King James I'm reading. The regular King James reads reckon. There's a few other ones that read consider. There's a, there's a handful of the word reckon. It may not be the word reckon in your Bible, but it, we're going to get to what that, mean, what that word means. If I say the word reckon today, a lot of times we think like to wreck, like wrecking, W-R-E-C-K-I-N-G. Well, we're not, we know that that's not what this word means. Now, if you go to certain parts of the country, you say, it's a nice day outside. Well, I reckon it is. What, what do you mean by that? What do you mean you reckon? I believe it is. I esteem that it is. I, and this is important, this is the word we're going to look at today, I calculate it is a nice day outside. See, the word reckon is, in Strong's, it's G3049. And I'm not going to try and pronounce it for you. That would not bless anyone. But its meanings are to think, to impute, to reckon, to count or account for, to suppose, reason, or give number to. Now, I spent a lot of my life believing that this passage of Scripture, reckon yourselves indeed to be dead to sin, meant I have to look like I don't sin. Or, that's the actual version. <laughs> what you would preach would be that you don't sin. Stop sinning. Reckon yourselves dead to sin. Stop sinning. Well, I tried that for a while, and it did not pan out. I ultimately wound up screwing up more than I didn't screw up, which, thank Jesus, has no effect on my right standing with God. You see, as Isaiah 64, 6 says, and we just read in Romans chapter 3, our righteousness is filthy rags. Our good behavior is as filthy rags. We can't earn. It is not by works through faith that we believe or that we are born again. It is by grace. It's a free gift 
You can't earn it, and we don't deserve it. That's how we're right with God, which tells me, when we get born again, does anybody in here think that you bring anything to the table when you get born again? You can't, because if you think you do, we're back to the rich young ruler. I've got these bricks, give me one more, and I'll swim with them. So we don't bring anything to the table to get right with God, and yet we consider ourselves to be maintainers of that right standing with God. And that's a lot, I believe, what Paul's trying to minister to them here is reckon, decipher, do the math, run the equation. That was the first word that I got for this sermon was run the equation. Do the transaction. So we're going to do just a little math this morning. I'd like you guys to participate. So zero plus 100 equals what? Anybody just shout it out. 100. Okay, but what about zero plus zero plus 100? Still 100. Okay, this is going to be extreme. What about a thousand zeros plus 100 equals? It's still 100. Zeros, no matter how many of them we add to the equation, don't change the solution. They don't change it. That's us. In our right standing with God, we bring zeros. Not just your misbehavior and not just your good behavior. All we bring to the equation of our right standing with God is zero. So let's run this equation. Us believing in Jesus equals right standing with God. Whatever we add to that or subtract from that does not change our right standing with God. We need to reckon that. We need to run the math. See, it's a longhand math problem. We are, we, Paul talks about working out our salvation. So Johnny has no apples. Jesus gives him five apples. Johnny has five apples. He had nothing to bring to the equation. It's important that we understand that 100 is the only acceptable number in righteousness. You see, we've gradually, slowly, from the first century till now, adapted um, like a righteousness spectrum. Everybody know what a spectrum is? It's like this big, it's like where do you fall on whatever? A rainbow is a, is a color spectrum. So we identify colors based on a certain spectrum. This is blue because of where it falls in the rainbow. There's spectrums in this life. Righteousness ain't one of them. Righteousness is either 100 or zero. It's not a sliding scale. We are either zero, unrighteous, which means real simple shorthand, not right with God, or we are completely righteous. You see, Matthew 6, Jesus is talking. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He's talking about, we're not going to preach the whole passage, but it's important to realize he doesn't say, seek ye first the kingdom of God and your righteousness. And he doesn't say, seek ye first the kingdom of God and try hard to look like me. Seek his righteousness. Jesus knew our righteousness was never going to be anything. It was filthy rags, and we couldn't clean them. Now, am I, are, you may be questioning and saying, 
does this mean it doesn't matter what I do? With regards to your standing with God, absolutely. You believe in Jesus, you are right with God. And it's a big thing and it's hard and we're like, wait a second. What about like a really bad sin? They're all bad sins. The word sin just means to miss the mark. If you miss it by a sixteenth of an inch, it's just as missed as if you miss it by a mile. A missed mark is a missed mark. And like I said, our standing with the Father is not a sliding scale. We don't get to heaven and say, are you righteous? Well, I'm close. It doesn't matter if you're close. You have to be all righteous, completely righteous. It is important that we are willing to exchange our everything for his everything. This is, and there's two sides of this. I was talking to Danny this morning a little bit, and he gave me a real good perspective that sometimes we can get into this perspective, into this discussion, and it has two sides to it. There's a positive side of it and the negative side of it. What do I mean by that? On the positive side of it, it's all of our goods. I, like I've done, I don't, just so that you guys know, I've done some goods. I don't remember the last one, but I know I've done some goods. I have helped people that, I, that did not deserve it and did not earn it. Feather in my hat. I have given things to people. I have extended a helping hand. That's pretty good. Now, that's the positive side of it. I want that to count. I've abstained from some things. That should count. Should it, I mean, I feel like I should count. Is that, can we, I mean, we can, I think it should count. You guys are looking at me like you don't think it should count. I've abstained from some stuff, and I think that should count. I think Jesus should say, you know what? You did do a pretty good job of not doing some really bad stuff. You still miss the mark every time, but it wasn't as far as some other people. But the other side of it is the negative side of it. We believe we were made right with God, and we establish, we reckon ourselves to be dead to sin, and then we screw up. And we think about it like this. I started out at 100, but now I'm probably a 95. Oh, so, so did Jesus take away five? No, I blew it. I blew it, and that five, that number five of my righteousness has been removed because of my misbehavior. So you see, there's a positive side of it where we think our good stuff should matter, and it's like, I got like a 105 today because I did five good things in my whole life, and, and Jesus, so I put that together, and it's like a 105. Or I've done nothing good, so I got the 100 from Jesus, but then I've screwed up a bunch, and so now we're down into the high 80s, depending on how you, you know, it depends on how you look at some of the stuff. Was, was you look at my intent or the action? Could be down like more of 60, but it's like the sliding scale on both sides of righteousness, and the truth is we ain't righteous and we ain't unrighteous based on us. We're righteous because of Jesus. What does righteous mean? Trey, you know what righteous means? The right to stand before God. Thank you, Jesus. You either have the right to stand before God completely, and we can enter boldly, is what Paul talks about, into the throne room of what? Of works? Harry, no, the throne room of grace. Unmerited. 
means you don't merit it. Unearned, which means you can't earn it. Favor. It's where we get the word favorite from. We enter into that without merit, without earning, and I add to that a clarity word, without the ability to earn it or deserve it. It's not just that you didn't earn it. You can't. I can't. Jesus earned it. And it's important that we run this equation. And I believe there was a time I might have shared this differently, but I believe this is an equation we need to become super comfortable with. You say, what do you mean? So my kids, my daughter is smarter than me in a lot of areas at this point, but she's not doing, what do you call it, multiplication yet. But do you guys remember when you learned multiplication, maybe you didn't do it this way, but I remember memorizing the multiplication table. Two, plus five, or two times five is 10. You remember all the twos. You memorize all the two times two is four. Two times three is six. Two, and you do this and you memorize these things. And so it's not that you're that fast at computing things all the time, but you memorized it. As believers, this equation is far more important to your walk and your spiritual life than the multiplication memorization is to your natural life. You say, I'm not sure about that. I use multiplication all the time. So do I. This equation's more important. Spiritually speaking, which is the parent dimension of all of our existence, this equation is the most important equation you'll ever know. Jesus exchanged he took all of our everything, good, even though some of us don't want to give up our good. I've been pretty good. He took it all, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything, and he exchanged it for a legal right to stand before God. He did something for you and for me that we are incapable of ever achieving. The magnitude of this I can't even wrap my brain around. He made you something it's impossible for you and I to achieve. He did it, and he completed it. Now, you may say, how do I know? Like, this is fun. This preaches, I like to preach this. I love to share this with people. It's good news how do we know? You might be sitting here this morning thinking, I know somebody that just passed away, or somebody in the last year that passed away. Or maybe you're counting the days on your calendar, and you're thinking, I don't know, my parents lived to be this old, or my grandparents lived to be this old, and I'm getting close to that. And I want to secure this. I want to lock this down. How do I know? a fair question. It's worth asking, and it's worth staying there until you understand this, until we understand this, and we'll come back to this. I'm walking, talking, living proof this is a place we visit periodically in our life. You see, the old covenant was fulfilled by the person and the sacrifice, the victory of Jesus Christ. It wasn't abolished, it was completed. Both Jesus filled the old covenant up to its fullest, and then he paid it off, which is a, a really amazing thing. 
He not only paid off the outline, the, the, the Old Testament, what we see in the law, he filled that up first and then he paid it off completely. This is proved. The proof of this is the Holy Spirit. My notes misprinted, folks. I apologize. They have misprinted and I lost my scripture for that. We're, we talk about this. I know that there's people in here that know this. We would have never received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given as uh, proof of purchase, sealing us. Ephesians 1, thank you, Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1. You say, thank you, Jesus. That was Valerie, but Jesus was speaking through her. Uh, if you you want to read that for us? I'm, I'm getting there. I got to find it. Uh, one moment, church. Somebody shout it out if you get the verse that I'm looking for here. It's here. I know it's here because this is, I just didn't print. Verse 13, so it's become, uh, that's Philippians. I'm in the wrong chapter, book. I'm like, wait a second. 13, in him also you trusted after you heard the word of truth and the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 14, this is it, church who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Paul's explaining to the church at Ephesus, this is the guarantee. The word that I got for this is the proof of purchase. The title deed to your salvation is the Holy Spirit, the guarantor. He's, this is, God's the guarantor. He gives you the guarantee of the Spirit. He says, this is yours. You have this. It belongs to you. And here is your Proof of purchase. When you hear the word proof of purchase, what do people think of? Just shout out a few things. What's that? A receipt is a good one. A warranty. Anybody else? A bill of sale. A title deed. The thing that my little peanut brain went to, this just shows my mental maturity sometimes, is the box tops on cereal boxes. I never got much of those toys. We could have never eat the same cereal often enough. But you collect those little proof of purchases back in the 90s and you put them in an envelope and you mail them to Kellogg's or whoever and then they would send you a 18 cent plastic toy. And it was amazing. There was nothing like the one that I got. We ate Cheerios. I didn't even like Cheerios anymore until I was done, but we got the little toy. It was a little honeybee thing. And I think about that proof of purchase. It would be impossible for us to send those in if we had not bought the cereal. You can't go through the store and cut the box tops out. Crossed my mind. There's cameras and people are watching. It's a bad deal. But I never tried it. But as a believer, the guarantee, the proof of purchase, the way that we know the the peace that we walk in comes through the Holy Spirit. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8, or verses 8 through 9, sorry. Philippians 4, 8 through 9 reads, Finally, my brethren, 
Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, the God of peace will be with you. Interestingly enough, the word meditate is the same word that's used for reckon. Is that amazing or what? Meditate, reckon these things, figure them. With a calculator, figure these things. Meditate, let your mind rest on these things. And the Holy Spirit, the God of peace, will be with you. The peace that we are led by is provided by the Holy Spirit. Spoken through the word of God into our lives, and we are guarded and led by that spirit of peace. Does this make sense to anybody? When we get delivered, when you are drowning and they throw you the buoy, you have the buoy as proof that you were delivered. The proof of purchase in our lives is the Holy Spirit of promise who seals us, who protects us, who keeps us. It's the evidence in our lives. When you feel the Holy Spirit leading you, that's evidence. It's given for two reasons. It's given First of all, to do whatever the thing is that's leading you, to bless the body of believers, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, to share the gospel. And secondly, it's given to reverberate on our insides as a guarantee. It's a reminder. I probably buy too much coffee throughout the week. I really enjoy coffee. And there's, many of our coffee shops have done away largely with paper receipts. So you pay for your coffee, and they're like, how do you want your receipt? And there's this little keypad. I'm sure many of you see them. And you put your little phone number in, and they'll text you your proof of purchase. My proof of purchase for me with coffee is the first sip because I get that before my phone dings. I really, But my phone dings, and it's proof that I paid for my cup. So they hand me the cup, and I move to the end of the thing, and I start pumping my coffee. Someone can accuse me and say, I don't know if you're born again or not. Maybe I accused myself. I'm not sure. Did my card go through? And then what happens? Ding. Look at my phone. Proof of purchase. See? I purchased. It's paid for. I have the proof of purchase. The Holy Spirit resonates on the inside of us with this reminder, you are righteous. When you hear my voice, you know. When you hear my voice, you know. You are righteous. You have been saved. Jesus came, provided actual and realized righteousness. And to do away with something that I want to talk just a little bit about, relative righteousness. Now, relative righteousness, you might think, I'm not really sure what that means. Well, so... The theory of relativity, we're not going to go into it all, but it has to do with the effects that large masses have on each other. Um, it's, we're not going to talk about the space aspects of this, but the idea of a relative thing is as it relates to another. You know what it's like to have a relative. I say, oh, you're related to them. How are you related? Well, that's my uncle, that's my aunt, that's my second cousin, that's my 
fifth cousin twice removed. That's how you are related to them. That's how your spheres of influence have been connected. The issue, one of the issues we deal with in the church is this idea of relative righteousness. You see, we might not be righteous by Moses' standards, but compared to a bunch of other people, we might start to feel pretty good about ourselves. Or, as we talked about earlier, we might compare ourselves negatively. We might see everybody else has got everything together and I just keep screwing up. That's relative righteousness. Thank Jesus he did away with it. He filled it up completely full and he gave us perfect righteousness. It's not, well, you know, you're, you're okay. There's a handful of people that did way better than you and a handful of people that did way worse than you. You're kind of in the middle of the road. Or sometimes you call it, and I took, like, I took some college classes once and they sometimes had to grade us on a curve. They took a whole bunch of the class did terrible, so what are we gonna do? We'll bump everybody up. We'll get, but no, nobody got 100 based on that, but everybody got an increased grade. You're like, on the curve, we did okay. We did terrible, but when you put it on a curve, it's like, well, you know, everybody did terrible. That's relative righteousness. It's, I mean, I did screw up a lot, but man, look around, everybody did. That's not how we establish righteousness. That's the law. You say, how is that the law? The law is how many things do you bring to sacrifice and what are you bringing to sacrifice? We're not going to read through it all right now, but the Old Testament is pretty clear. If you really screw up, I mean real bad, everyone in your community knew about it. Do you know why? Because you're taking like a herd of sheep or larger sacrifices. It's like, whew, boy, look at I don't know what they did, but it was pretty bad. Look at their sacrifice. I just got my little dove. This is like screwed up a little bit, but here's my dove. And, but everybody else is taking herds of stuff. Like, that's relative righteousness. There's different sacrifices for different things you screwed up. There's one sacrifice. Hebrews talks about Jesus came and offered one sacrifice for all sin, for all time. We demanded as humans, we needed the big one. All of us, all of us in our relative unrighteousness, relative righteousness, some good, some bad, it kind of matters here because, you know, that's like not that, that's, that's like a really bad thing and this is like a private little bad thing, it's not that bad. It's like, we all need the big one. We need the spotless lamb of God because as Hebrews talks about the Old Testament, all of those sacrifices, the little dove and the big sheep and the, the bulls and all the blood that was shed didn't make anyone righteous. It just covered it. It just covered over it. No one was made righteous by that. No one was made righteous by not needing one of those. And no one was made righteous by sacrificing all the bulls, all the goats, all the sheep, all the doves in all the world. Won't make anybody righteous just covers over. It was a picture. It was a type. It was a shadow so that John could come. John the Baptist could come before Jesus, prepare the way and declare, behold, the Lamb of God. This isn't the Lamb of anything else. This is God's Lamb. This is his sacrifice. And he'll take it away. He takes away the sin of the world. He doesn't cover it anymore. He removes it. The magnitude of this 
reality this morning is not lost on me, but I'm not maybe the greatest at articulating it. I think about back to the Philippian jailer and the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler was rolling with some relative righteousness. I'm able to swim still. I mean, I I get tired sometimes, but I got these bricks and I'm able to swim still. I think about that picture of the swimmer carrying the bricks. And you got to throw another brick on, another thing, another brick on. Where the Philippian jailer, I relate to him. I can relate to both of them, but I really relate to the Philippian jailer. Like, I can't do this. I can't, I can't barely tread water by myself. Don't throw any bricks towards me. I can't do it. I need saved. I don't need another brick to carry. I need saved. I need someone else to save me. And Jesus is that one. Jesus is that savior. And he sent me and he sent you, the Holy Spirit, the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. You know what it means to redeem something? It means to go get it. You can have, uh, speaking of the coffee shop, this is just a side note, but I'm pretty excited about it. I have rewards to redeem at two coffee shops this week. What does it mean to redeem? I gotta go get them. I got all the points. I got the thing. I gotta go in and tell them, like, I got the points for the free cup of coffee. Yes, I'm aware it's not free. I already paid for it. That's not the point. I get to redeem. I get to go get it. Jesus hasn't come and got us yet. He's coming, but he hasn't come and got us yet. So until he comes to redeem us, it's not that we're not paid for, paid for in full. As my points show, I paid for all that coffee in full. I just haven't got it yet. And until, until I go get the coffee, I got the points on my phone. This is a simple metaphor, but understand, until he comes to get us, he's got the Holy Spirit here with us, the guarantee. I'm coming for you. I'm co- See, you still have the Holy Spirit. You still have the proof that I purchased you, resides inside of you, bears witness with my word. If you wonder, this is just a little application. I'm not super strong in application stuff. Just a little application. If you're here today or you're listening to this teaching and you're wondering, that's all fine. I don't know if I hear the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit bears witness in the word of God. So if you're wondering, I'm not sure if I have the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure. I invite you, and this is an invitation, not an obligation, church. I invite you, get into the word, and you'll hear that The Holy Spirit will bear witness in the word of God. Everybody have time for one little story about that? Everybody okay with that? A few heads nodding, a few of you are like ready to go. You're welcome to go. Zero offense on my part if you gotta go. So this past week, this past week, I, um, my Monday this last week was a difficult day. It was just... <clears throat> I might go into all the details. It was just a difficult day. A lot of little stuff. It wasn't, I could explain it to you and you would sit here and say, that doesn't sound that bad. It was just a difficult day. The way it all hit me, the stuff that was going on was just a very difficult day. So I'm 
quite a ways behind with a few projects. And Monday night, I went in and ate supper, and I told Melinda about some of my frustrations and difficulties. We ate supper. I'm like, I got to go back out. I'm going to work tonight for a few hours yet. She's like, that's fine. So she put the kids to bed. I went back out to the shop. And I'm having an, an ongoing discussion with the Lord that had been going on for several days at this point. And, and I was frustrated with him because I couldn't hear him. And I started to ask hard questions. I'm just being transparent with you today. Some people may not be blessed by that, but I'm going to be transparent. I was asking hard questions. And one of the questions I asked was, Lord, why in the Sam Hill did we do away with audible hearing? Your, I want to hear your voice audibly. Because right now I got all these questions, and I've been pummeling you with questions all weekend, and I, I just, I don't even hear your voice. Like, I don't hear your voice. Well, in my gut, and this is not, uh, this isn't a recipe for anyone, okay? Don't anyone hear this like, well, this is what I have to do to hear from God. This is just how he met me that night. I, I heard in my gut, and I had the radio on, and he's like, well, it sounds like you're listening. This is what I felt in my stomach, and I'm like, I have been listening all day. I was, I was deeply offended at the Lord for, like, you obviously listening. You've got the radio at, like, 94 decibels. Sounds like you're listening. So I'm like, fine. I stomped. I'm not exaggerating. I stomped to the radio, hit the power button, and I stood there. It's quiet now. Still listening. And I'm praying. I'm asking the Lord things. Finally, I'm like, I'm still kind of working. I stood for a second, and I'm still working. I'm like, I felt in my, my gut, sit down and listen to me. So I sat down. I drug two sawhorses out. I sat down and crossed my arms. I'm listening. I'm asking questions, seeking the Lord. And then I hear in my gut, shh. Okay. I'm still listening. Like, speak. And I'm pretty emotional at this point. I'm not displaying that this morning, but I'm pretty emotional at this point in the evening. So I'm like, I feel like I'm hearing from God, but I'm just waiting, and I'm asking, I'm like, Lord, I just want to, can I feel your hand on my back? Can I? And it's like, this sounds, you're like, okay, this is pretty weird. I don't like it when people do this. I don't either, but I'm just sharing this with you. I feel like I'm supposed to. I sit there for almost, I don't know, I felt like about 30 minutes. I think it was about seven. And finally, I'm like, I have got work to do, and you are not speaking to me. And I stood up, I said, I guess, word for word what came out of my mouth, I said, I guess you're not talking tonight. And I stood up. As the words tonight came out of my mouth, my phone dings loud. Like it was, it was real quiet in there and I had been quiet for so long, it was like really loud. As I said, I guess you're not talking tonight. Ding! And I'm like, I started shaking a little bit, and I look at my phone. It was a ding I was not familiar with. A friend of mine, who apparently I befriended on some Bible app, which I was unaware of how this all worked, liked an image, or created this image of this Bible verse. I opened the word, I opened the message of this verse, and I fell apart. It was exactly the word that I was looking for. I couldn't have found the verse if I had to. But it was the verse that spoke to me. I can't describe to you. I just, then I sat back down, and it was for a little while at that point. But the way the Lord ministered, it was through the word, through his people, directly into my heart. 
at exactly the right time. And I know, before any of you wonder it, you think, well, if you'd have been patient enough to wait for eight minutes, you'd have heard him. I did hear him, but it's like, in that moment, the Holy Spirit quickened, did all this stuff, for what purpose, church? This is exactly what he's, as the guarantee, a reminder, I paid for you, I'm here with you, I've got you. I paid for you, I'm here with you, I've got you. So I invite you, it's an invitation, get into the word and you will hear things confirmed. You will hear the Holy Spirit confirming truths in your heart, confirming the reality that you are righteous and enabling us to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. If you would join me and stand this morning, I'd like to read a declaration over us before we go. Here at The Rock, our hearts are full of thanksgiving. We're thankful for the ultimate exchange where Jesus became sin for us and died as us, that we might become the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We're thankful that we can now walk in newness of life, having received this free gift of right standing with God by grace through faith. This morning we choose to reckon ourselves to be dead to sin indeed, but alive to God through Christ Jesus. Therefore, we rest this morning. We fix our eyes and all of our attention on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Bow with me if you would. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for speaking to our hearts through your word and resonating giving us that resounding encouragement, that confident proof of purchase, the title deed to our salvation, our right standing with you. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We declare a blessing right now over this family. We know and we thank you that we are blessed in the city and in the country when we rise up and when we lie down. Thank you that you go before us, you go behind us, you cover over us. We thank you so much that you are always and only good, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray this. Amen.